Hey everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of Professional JavaScript, the podcast for learning how to grow as a JavaScript developer in a professional environment where the problems are greater than just another to-do list tutorial. Each week, I, Michael Mangelardi, will be sharing what I'm learning as I write JavaScript code on a professional team. I'll cover tips, tricks, technologies, and other goodies that you don't always get when consuming other online resources. In today's episode, I'll be discussing how to help someone else review your code. You are bound to find many articles floating around in the blogosphere about how to conduct a code review. This is great as learning how to conduct a code review is a valuable skill that is not always acquired before acquiring a junior developer role. Perhaps I'll record a podcast on that topic one day. But today, however, I want to talk about how you can help someone else review your code. Let me explain. One of the many buzzwords that you'll hear in developer circles is context switching. This word does have a technical meaning and origin. According to the scholarly source called Wikipedia, context switching can be defined as the process of storing the state of a process or thread so that it can be restored and resume execution at a later point. This allows multiple processors to share a central processing unit, CPU, and is an essential feature of a multitasking operating system. However, the term context switching in most cases has been adapted by developers to describe a common challenge to their productivity. Context switching in this sense refers to the switch between tasks throughout your day. For example, your day as a developer may look like this. 8.30 a.m. Log in and check email and Slack. 8.45 a.m. Catch up on code reviews. 9.30 a.m. Attend the stand-up. 9.50 a.m. Work on a new feature. 1.30 p.m. Attend the design dev collaboration session. 3 p.m. Continue to work on a new feature. 3.05 p.m. Response to a coworker's question. The list goes on and on. The point is that your day can be full of switching from one context to another. Sometimes these switches can be predicted, like a coworker messaging you on Slack. Context switching tends to not be a developer's favorite thing. Given that having someone else review your code imposes a context switch on them, it is nice to help make that context switch as smooth as possible for them. So, how do you help make their context switch smooth? How do you help someone else review your code? Let's start with the first thing that will grab the reviewer's attention, the pull request title. Your title should make clear as to what will happen if your code is merged. It is best, when possible, to phrase this from the perspective of a user who would want to know what new feature slash functionality is available should the code be merged. If your repository is a user-facing application, the user whose perspective you're trying to write from would be the end user slash customer. For example, imagine you just fixed a bug. Before your users weren't seen highlighting on a screen as they typed in the search bar, now they do see highlighting as they type. A bad pull request title may describe the technical solution rather than the functionality the end user would see should your code be merged. Example, 
Include highlights in search action. Another bad name is when the impacted feature is mentioned without mention of how it is being impacted. Example, bug fix, colon, search highlighting. A good name would be highlight catalog search matches as user types. Let's break down this good name. First, it begins with a verb, highlight. It's in the imperative. Second, it contains the context about the part of the application that is being touched from a user's perspective. The catalog search matches. That's what this pull request is in the context of. Third, it appends additional context to describe the user's interaction as the user types. Putting all together, highlight, verb, and the imperative, catalog search matches, the context, as the user types, additional context. If your repository is tooling for other developers to consume, you would write from the perspective of a developer who would be consuming the tool. Imagine you're adding an ESLint configuration to a GraphQL's server's repository. A band name will not begin with a verb, nor capture the developer's experience. Example, ESLint support. A more helpful title would be Enforce JavaScript Syntax During Local Development. It's not wrong to include the added slash impacted technologies as long as it adds to, rather than taking away from, the helpful title. For example, Enforce JavaScript Syntax During Local Development Using ESLint. Now there's no way I can iterate through all the example scenarios and the appropriate title. Even if you do not enjoy this particular framework that I've laid out, merely putting effort into consistent, helpful pull request titles will go a long way. Similar to a pull request title, pull request commits should be helpful and have intentionality behind them. First things first, let's talk about the commit history. A good pull request title helps the reviewer know the end goal of the committed code. The individual commits unravel the story of how the developer solved the problem and achieved the result as mentioned in the title. These commits record the logical progression from a problem to a solution. In the eerie German fairy tale Hansel and Gretel, Hansel leaves breadcrumbs to be able to find his way home. The table of contents of a nonfiction book is effectively the breadcrumbs of how a message is communicated. Each chapter title summarizes what to expect in the chapter. Each chapter title highlights the order of a book and its logical progression to communicate a message, culminating in a conclusion. The commits of a pull request are the breadcrumbs that reveal the logical order of how a solution was attained, culminating in the results encapsulated in the title. One extreme of a commit history is to leave a breadcrumb at every step. Refactor function, remove semicolon, update title. Another extreme is to leave out helpful breadcrumbs that tell the reviewer your intentionality. Fix search highlighting as user types, format code. These are the two extremes. 
and you'll find the middle ground to be where you want to land. Instead of emphasizing what you should write, let me advise what you should ask. Stop, and before you tag a reviewer, ask, does this commit history tell the story of how I solved the problem and reveal my intent? If it doesn't make sense to you, it will not make sense to a reviewer. Of course, the best time to be thinking about how to structure commit history is as you are developing. Mere intentionality to do this will go a long way. Don't be afraid to rewrite your Git history. I have to do this in almost all my pull requests. Second, let's continue our conversation about pull request commits and talk about the naming convention for your commits. A classic recommendation is to use Tim Pope's git commit message template. In this, he recommends a capitalized short summary. This should be about 50 characters or less. More detailed explanatory text, if necessary, can be provided, but wrap it to around 72 characters or so. I would second this recommendation, but I would add some things. First, um, I think that what constitutes a good short summary would be similar to a pull request, except I would also clarify that the context of the impacted code relative to either the application and or the code base is less important as that can be easily seen when the reviewer checks the diff for that commit. Moreover, do not abuse the longhand explanatory text. A bad example of explanatory text is when it is used in place of a good git commit history. Fix search highlighting as user types. That could be your short summary. And then underneath you might say something like this. Point one, I did X. Point two, I did Y. Perhaps what you did for X should be your commit. And what you did for Y should be the subsequent commit. So you have to think through what your explanatory text is. Also, the explanatory text does not need to describe everything that your code does and its context relative to the code base. All of that can be discerned by the reviewer when reading the diff for the commit. However, being verbose in this case doesn't really harm. It just adds more work for you. Practically, I've tended to use explanatory text for details that may not be obvious from the code diff. A good example of this is external links to a Stack Overflow answer, a package change log, a GitHub issue, etc. Working to organize your commit history with good naming conventions will significantly help your reviewer to understand what is going on in the pull request. They will thank you as it helps them switch context with greater ease. Finally, the pull request description should contain any additional context that would help the reviewer to understand what is going on as they switch context. Now, every team will have different criteria as to what should be included in the description. At a minimum, it should include the what, why, and how behind the changes. It should call out and provide links to any supporting pull requests. 
commonly, it may include a link to the story, card, or ticket that may exist in a tool like Jira or Asana as created by a dev manager, tech lead, or technical product manager, as well as the acceptance criteria, the requirements that were specified as to what needed to be done. You should also provide screenshots that show that you have manually tested your code effectively allowing the reviewer to get a visual of the pull request title. As a conclusion, being intentional about helping someone else to review your code will not only assist them as they switch context, but it will help you mature your skills as a developer to think and plan as you code solutions. It can also help to improve your technical writing skills, which is a nice tool to have in your toolbox. If you're a junior developer, this will help you progress into a more mature asset to your team. If you're applying to be a junior developer, then having knowledge of Git and constructing good pull requests is a soft-ish skill that can give you edge over other applicants. Consider taking the time to learn Git and practice shaping a good commit history and pull request for an open source project that you can include in a portfolio. At the end of the day, however, every book has a table of contents, despite the writer's maturity. Hopefully, this provides helpful advice for all developers. I would add, however, that what constitutes a summary should be similar to a pull request title, except you are writing from the perspective of how the reviewer will understand the code changes. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in to another episode of Professional JavaScript, and I have some exciting news to share. I've recently published a book called Design Systems for Developers. I've recently worked on a team at a professional enterprise company trying to create tools for a design system, and I just wanted to take all the knowledge that I've learned and those experiences that I've gained and put them into a book. In 12 chapters, I'll teach you how to code a design system that scales and to collaborate with fellow designers and developers. It's super cool. I'm really excited about it. So if that sounds cool to you, head over to leanpub.com. That's L-E-A-N-P-U-B.com slash design systems for developers. That's no spaces, no hashes, no nothing. Design systems for developers. Thanks so much. See you next time.